Jean-Marc opens the bottles, I'll just say a couple of uh, first words about Merceau and also about the Domaine. But there is no question in my own mind, which is my favourite of the uh, white Burgundy villages. It was the very first time um, I came to Burgundy to taste as a professional, which would have been um, uh, late November, early December 1981. Uh, my first two tastings were both in Merceau. And uh, this village, it satisfies me so much. It doesn't have a Grand Cru, which is why people tend to uh, not put it at the very front. But it has two great things going for it. One, it is easily the best at the level of village wines, to the extent that there are many of them which are bottled under their own vineyard name, even though they're not Premier Cru. And maybe we'll discuss later on with Jean-Marc why there aren't more Premier Cru, whether there should have been more Premier Cru. But then when we do get to the Premier Cru, uh, there are some truly great wines, um, not just Chenevriere, Charme and Perrier, but also Boucher um, uh, and several more. So there is a depth in the range of Merceau and there's a depth in the flavour profile. Your traditional French sommelier used to talk about uh, butter and hazelnuts. Couldn't escape from linking the two whenever Merceau was mentioned. That's a little bit less the style now. But what Merceau does have is a depth of flavour that goes beyond the majority of what you find in Chassin and Pudigny. It's also the village with, I think, the widest range of exciting different producers. Um, in Pudigny, you've really got a, a quite a small number. In chassin Maraché, you have many, but they're all from the same three families. Uh, but here in, here in Massa, there's a, there's a good gene pool to draw from. Uh, and I reckoned last year that I came and tasted at 50 domains in Merceau. And there are at least another 10 or maybe 15, which could also have been included. And that's extraordinary these days to have that range of different top producers from one village. But when I began 40 years ago, it was, what, you were maybe six producers yeah, who, yeah, were, yeah. who were famous and exciting. But including the then domain Guy Rouleau, and um, I sadly never met your father, but uh, you came back in what year? Uh, 89, and my father passed away in uh, 82. And uh, after his death, we have, uh, we have two regisseurs. And the first one uh, was Ted Lemon, who's now managing Literary Wine. And you know, at this time, Ted was very young. He was, he was 25 years old. And uh, it was in, uh, we employ him, by phone, I remember. And he came and he arrived. My father passed away 1st of November, 82. And Ted arrived uh, in January, 83. So I was studying in Paris at this time. I never uh, kept the contact with, with, with Marceau. But I, I really went back here in uh, 89. And 89 is my very first vintage. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, you've, uh... and then I, I spoke about uh, Ted from Literary Wine. He stayed until uh, August 20, uh, 84. And my cousin, Franck Grux, was now working at uh, Olivier de Fleb. He worked for us from 84 to uh, December 88. Voilà, this is the story. And then I'm here since 89. And uh, it's a new, and I'm, I'm happy to, to, to share it. Um, my son, my oldest son, just decided to come back here. Oh, wow. And, yeah, yeah, you didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> yes, Felicien. Is my oldest son. I have two sons, and he's right now studying in Bonn at the Viticulture Enology School, and he will be back here in uh, 
23. Jean-Marc has a, another career you're probably familiar with, which is Jean-Marc the actor. And it's a good way to pass the, the long flight between uh, Hong yeah. Kong and uh, Paris or Geneva or London. Watching, um, yeah, the last film was Suki uh, uh, in, yeah. in French. And I think the English title was Back to Burgundy. Back to Burgundy, right. And it's the only film on wine I've ever seen where I don't get extremely annoyed yeah. uh, about the fact they're getting all the wine details wrong. Yes. And the reason is because Jean-Marc not only acted in it, uh, but also uh, he made sure that they didn't get any of the details wrong. And you were able to take revenge on a few local people who hadn't done what they should have done earlier in your life, I think. Yeah. There are some very funny scenes, which uh, if you know Jean-Marc, uh, you realize that uh, who he's teasing, shall we say. Why not? <laughs> Great. Um, so we're ready. Just open all the bottles. This is and wonderful. Maybe I kept the, the champagne. I will open okay. it later. So Coravin has not reached this corner of Merceau, so we have uh, the, the full bottles. Um, do you have any wine served yet? Uh, yes, in our side, they are having the Bourgogne Blanc and also the Merceau Blanc 2018, which is the first and the second of the wine. Uh, okay, uh, Jean-Marc is just going to find us a second glass each so we can do something similar. Um, any any questions for us so far? Or... All happy? So, shall we come for a bit about the vintage characteristic first before we start the 2018 tasting? Oh, sure. Well, you've got two sets of vintage notes. One is Jean-Marc speaking about it from the point of view of the vigneron who's made the wines and how he experienced it. And then there are my uh, general notes, um, which is more from the point of view of uh, the vintage uh, ov overall, uh, what appeared to be the case when they were being made, and um, also what happened, how the wines are developing since. And this feature of 2018, um, now, we, now we know that it's a big vintage, but we didn't at the time. Because even the day before the harvest, people weren't expecting that uh, larger crop. There were a reasonable number of bunches, sure, but the grapes weren't particularly large. And it was only when they came to press the grapes that so much juice came out of them. And it had been a notably dry summer, so it totally wasn't expected. But the big difference was that it rained a lot the winter before. There was plenty of water in the water table, uh, and out it came. Um, so. Jean-Marc, I've just explained a little bit about uh, the size of the crop in 2018 in terms of the winter before, just to list. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was a very surprising uh, vintage because we, it's, 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 uh, we have, we've got a lot of sun uh, in, t in term of, of, of hours, a lot of, uh, but the previous winter was really rainy. We've got a lot of rain. And thanks to that, you know, without those rain, we were probably maybe, we were going to produce something close to 2003, which is not at all the case, thanks to all this that this water we've got during the winter. And, uh, you know, we have got, I have the number here. It's uh, about the sun. We've got uh, 1,560 hours of, of sun, and usually it's just uh, 1,300. And about the, the water, it's, it's about the same the same thing. It's it's very much higher than usual during the winter, seventeen uh, eighteen, and so with this sun and this reserve of water during the spring, 
the vegetation exploded. It was really uh, unbelievable. And the flowering time uh, went very well, very, really very well. And so the, we were a little bit worried with the, in August, in summer, because of the, we thought it was a little bit too dry, but the reserve were here. And then uh, finally, at the, at the end of the maturation, the crop was really, was really high. And I can say it was high in terms of, uh, it was close to 60 hectoliters per hectare, which is high. We're not used to this. We're more used to, to get uh, between 35 and 40. You know, if you have this kind of crop too often, that means something is wrong. You, you, you're not pruning the right way or your fertilizer is, is not managing on, on the right way. But when it's happen every 35 years, you just have to be happy. And I think the nature was with us in 18. And, you know, I have to go up back to, I'm, I'm sorry, my English is not as good as Jasper, of course. <laughs> you know, I have notes from many, many vintages. And I have to go back to 1982 to see this level of, of, uh, of yield. And it's a shame just to think high yield means... Uh, no, not, for, not for Chardonnay. I mean, no, no. imagine Vincent Lefler, if you yeah, would have yeah. said 60 hectoliters a hectare, that's a disaster, that's miserable. No <laughs> wine at all. Yeah. Yes. So, of course, it was an enjoyable vintage for us. And this is the most beautiful grapes I've seen since uh, a lot of, a lot of time. You know, uh, no hail, no no frost. Everything went went really well. So the balance is is high. And uh, with that sun, happily we had this quantity because without this quantity would be I I I would mention this uh, two thousand three effect, and it's not at all the not case. Another vineyard friend of mine in Marseille, Jean-Philippe Fichet, he said to me, it's 1973 all over again. There's a bigger crop than the 82, if anything. And he remembers because uh, he was a little child at that point and they had a plastic paddling pool in the garden. And his grandfather who was making the wine then, uh, came and stole the plastic paddling pool so he could fill it up with wine because otherwise he'd used all his main receptacles, all his tanks, all everything else. So he had to steal the paddling pool. Right, we've just now served ourselves the Bourgogne Blanc, right? Um, which is from vineyards where? So we have uh, almost four and a half hectares of Bourgogne Blanc, different plot located on different uh, place in Meursault. We have a big one uh, 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 on the Puligny side in a plot named Les Coutures. It's one hectare and uh, several plots behind the estate on Volnay side. And uh, at the, you know, it's it's several plot, and we have different harvests. And at the beginning, we have been average four to five, six different cuvées. And then at the final, we make an assemblage to, because we're producing just one Bourgogne blanc. But at the beginning, it's it's uh, several cuvées. And you know, the the estate is already complicated enough with the declination of all the different terroirs. So I didn't want to produce several Bourgogne Blanc, but I could. But it would be a, probably a nightmare for commercialization. Voilà. Mm. <clears throat> so you're getting a richness of flavor in this wine, which, to my way of thinking, if we hadn't had this size of crop, would become too powerful, too rich. 
but with the extra crop, yeah. it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Joma and Jasper, for your information, I think all of my guests, they bought your wine and having your wines in the cellar. So maybe it's also interesting for them to know your uh, point of view about the aging. For January, like two thousand. It's always easy to say when you when he's young, he will keep for 30 years. <laughs> so, no, I insist about the fact the the grapes were really healthy and beautiful. And you can blind choose any grapes. It, would be, it was a, really a wonderful crop. So it's healthy grapes, good balance. Maybe the acidity is not as uh, a little bit too too high, but not, not that much. So I may maybe Jasper will correct, but I think it's quite able to to age. And if I, I you know, I mentioned you 1982 because it was a huge crop, maybe even better, be bigger than uh, 2018. And I don't know if you taste some 82 recently, but it's it's aged. They haven't hardly moved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 aged beautifully. So I cross my finger. But I think it's able to age. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't recommend aging the, the Bourgogne Blanc. I think that's in, in a lovely place uh, even now. I'd be happy to go ahead and drink that. Uh, the Merceau, definitely. There is more in reserve. A little crispness, a little freshness at the back. That uh, means I would be uh, saving that for a while. But Chardonnay is a grape. White Burgundy in particular is, is quite deceptive in its ability to age, um, uh, assuming it gets over any any hurdles uh, in, in the way. And those big vintages like 73 and 82 and later on 92, um, they became ready to drink reasonably early and then they stayed there. Uh, the fact is a big crop is maybe more obvious in the lower appellation, especially in Bourgogne Blanc, right? Uh, because if you're tasting both wine together, there is a real step between the Bourgogne Blanc and the Merceau. Hmm. Okay. And also, possible to talk a bit more about the Merceau village? It's super difficult to search for the information. So, do you change um, the Merceau, the Merceau village? Okay. So the Merceau village is not is not the same story as the Vireuil or Tesson we may have we may try later. We're producing a, a Merceau village since 2010. And uh, because I've got some new plots to, to manage in, in plots such like uh, Les Gruyaches, Les Croteaux. Gruyache is, uh, is below Charme de Sou. Les Croteaux is below Poruzo. And then in 2011, uh, and those plots were, were, were small, but I decided to vinify them together because the common point is the fact those plots are below the slope. It's Merceau coming from uh, flat flat part of, of the below the coast. Then in 2011, I've got a new plot uh, to manage uh, Le Clos de la Baronne, which is a big clos, and we share with uh, Dominique uh, Domaine Lafon. So it was a big addition. It was 1.35 hectares, and then I decide to have this this cuvee all together, single Merceau. Voilà, and. Uh, it's allow me sometime when I replant a new plot, for example, in Narvo, in Luché, 
when the vineyard is coming back in production, instead of putting the wine in Luché cuvée or in Larvaux cuvée, I put it in, uh, in this Merceau generic. And since uh, I think 18 is the first vintage, yes, we have also a new plot in Soulavel. Voilà. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about how you make the white wines? Um, because there is a crispness and freshness at the back of this 2018 Masso, despite the warmth of the summer and the size of the crop. And over the years, what's been typical is that we spent hours talking about how the red wines are made and really just accepting the white wines, asking a word about the uh, vineyard and maybe how much new oak you use, but not really okay. other questions. Okay. But there are so many different points, which I think count. So I would just to, because I'm thinking about it, I don't want to miss it. In, in 18, it was a, a big crop. And for debourbage, I, I decide, I asked my team when we, we make the debourbage to increase the turbidity. Okay, so debourbage being when you settle the juice, which is cloudy to begin with. So you had more solids. Yes, yeah. because usually, I don't want to be too technical, but in average, it's about twice quantity of fleas mm. because of the, of the crop. Okay. I, yeah. I wanted this, and, and I decided this because I told you the, re the grapes were beautiful. Yes. Voilà. So I was, I was comfortable to decide this coming from uh, 300 of turbidity mm. to 600. Good. Voilà. But, it was a mistake some people made in 1999, which is another big crop. They said, because we're getting up near the limits of what we're allowed, they didn't include the solids. And that meant that the wine was a bit more fragile and hasn't kept so well. So, to speak about the, the vinification, so of course is under harvesting, and then um, when it's come to the winery before pressing, I like to crush my grapes. And why I crush my grapes? It's because it's allow me to get the, the main part of the juice with low pressure. When you crush, the juice is coming more easily. Comment dit le jus, le jus de goutte, le jus pisse goutte. The uh, dropping the, juice. The free run juice. The free run juice is, is a higher quantity. And then we start the press as, at 0 0.2 bar for 45 minutes. And when I, I end this, this part with the free run juice, I've got 75% of my total juice. So I increase a little bit my, my, my press, go up to 0 0.8. And when I'm 0 0.8, I've got 90%. So I go up, as every uh, wine producer managing a press, I go up to 1.6 bar, but the part between 0 0.9 and 1.6 is very, it's just 10% of the total cubic. What does that mean? It's a little bit technical, I'm sorry. That means you have, if you press more, maybe the pH increase a little bit, and it's, it's, uh, the taste, the flavor could change a little bit. I like to have it. This, this flavor we, we you got, you, you, you win at the end of the press, but just a little bit like a backbone in the wine. So, so this is, uh, it's not so common to, 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 to crush the, the grapes. I don't know. Do you know some other estate doing it in Merceau? Um, it's sadly, um, most people have stopped crushing. They probably used to a long time ago. Uh, and for me, it's a fundamental mistake. I think it, crushing is so important. It means that you're using the skin as you would with red wines, 
And yeah. it's, 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 so, it's so important to do it. And I, and I think it is also one of the keys to not having any premature oxidation. Of course, I, I miss it, but it's also uh, the explanation. You know, um, because in the past, we, have not the, we, we were crushing, but we have pompe à vendange, so we were mixing the grapes a lot. And uh, so I feel comfortable to do this because it's much lighter than it was uh, 30 years ago. And we had some premarks, but, but maybe if we have a little bit less, less premarks than, than some other estate, I think the fact we did this way helped us because crushing the grapes is a kind of oxidation. And you have a, a wide window of, of, of low oxidation as come on, before the fermenting. Faut que tu m'aides à traduire. Okay. Clair ou pas? Yeah, oui, oui, okay. very clear. Okay. Uh, right. So now you need to pour us uh, the two, the Viroy and the Meshavo. Okay, Meshavo on the right. So we're not in fact going to have all the single vineyards <laughs> that um, Chomart makes. Um, after this, we'll have the the, the famous Tesson. So uh, Viroy first, and then uh, Meshavo. Viroy is at the the northern edge of Marceau, just before it goes round into uh, yes. Jose Dures. Both so, are northeast facing, and Meshavo is below the slope, at the beginning of the slope. Then mid-slope you have Luché, and above Luché you have Les Viroy. Ça va, le... Oui, très bien. So, Age of vines in these two? Pardon? What is the age of the vines? Oh, those are old. Uh, Viray, you know, I've been lucky because my, my father replanted a lot in the 50s, 60s, and uh, Viray was replanted in, in the 60s. Meshavo, in average, is, is old. We have a few parts of Meshavo, which is younger, replanted in uh, 80, in, in uh, 1980. But the average uh, age is about the same for both of them. Oh, hmm. so the intensity of fruit you've got in the in the Viroy. Nobody could say that that was a overcropped vintage. Just can't. Finishes with a little bit of reduction, which is uh... yes. So we just spoke about the press. The fact I crush, then we put the juice in a in a big tank upstairs and let it settle for a night. And the day after, we make what we call the débourbage. And I was explaining for this vintage with big quantity, I decided to have a heavier débourbage. It means uh, more turbidity, more more lees. And then we we put the wine in uh, right after débourbage. We fill the barrel. If, if something is harvested on Monday, uh, Tuesday morning, it's in the barrel. I want, I want to have the, the juice as soon as possible in the barrel. You may begin the fermenting process in a vat, then waiting for the beginning of the, of the fermenting process and then go in, in the barrel. It's, maybe it's work a little bit better because the fermenting process is more dynamic. But uh, I think it's, it's for the complexity, it's better to start the fermenting process in barrel. Voilà. So it's in barrel. We don't fill the barrel, of course, because, the ferment, because of the fermenting process. And then we follow the density and fill the barrel slowly 
up to the density level. Voilà. This is a, and the, it's natural yeast. And uh, there is a, a part of uh, maybe in average four to six days before the fermenting process began. And then the fermenting process, it's, it's up to the vintage. It could be uh, three weeks or two or three months. Voilà. <laughs> I love that slight bitterness at the finish, which I think yeah. is a very good sign <clears throat> for the long term. So, sir, we talk a bit about the vineyard work because I think not so many people know you are also practicing organic in the vineyard. Because, um, I mean, a lot of people, they treat it as a marketing, but you are quite low profile on it for the organic uh, vinification. You know, I think the good wine is a result of many, many decisions. Uh, big decision or small decision, but uh, so organic, of course, is a, is a is an important decision and, and, and a big thing. But I don't want to promote my one through the organic. And we're in organic way since uh, 2000. But at the beginning, I don't want to be certified. But I just want to do it because I, I, I do believe in it. And we were just certified in uh, 2013. But it changed nothing because we were, we were in organic since uh, 2000. Yes, um, you have this thing, you can be work uh, organically, but not be certified. You can be certified, which I think these days you should do if you're going to claim to be organic. And the third thing is you can put the mention on the bottle, uh, which is a little bit more at the advertising end, but you don't put it on the label. Uh, no, I, I, I maybe will, uh, but no, right now I, I don't do it. If you want to sell to the monopoly wine monopoly in Norway, these days, most of their demands for samples insist that it should be both organic and certified and labeled on the bottle. So between Vireuil and Meshavo, both are same ex exposition, northeast. I told you below the slope for Meshavo, higher. But it's, Vireuil is higher, but it's a kind of a plateau. It's not the, the, the slope is not as deep. And uh, Meshavo is a deeper soil, but uh, it's very choky soil because we, we make, on a fait des, on a fait des, des trous. They, they dug holes in the soil to see what happens underneath. And Meshavo, c'était super profond. Au début, de la pente, c'était super profond. Mais en fait, c'est plein de petits caillots délités. Et, et Pedro Parra me dit, on a l'impression que c'est de l'argile, mais il y a beaucoup de calcaire délité, beaucoup de pierres. So when they dug the uh, holes, they found quite a lot of topsoil, and the first impression was that it was more in clay, but it was so full of small limestone, little bits of stone, that actually that's more the effect it has. I'm finding it the, the more aromatic of the two wines, more perfumed today. Wait, this one, yes, sure. yeah. And in terms of complexity, what do, what do you think? Uh, okay, so the Viroy is a little bit more direct and linear, yeah, and this is a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more complexity. I wish I got a more complexity. Yes. <clears throat> right. Time passes, so we will observe the last two of the 2018s. Mm. 
So next to our uh, Merceau Tesson and uh, Merceau Claude Boucher. So the, this Tesson vineyard has always been one of the uh, the great uh, vineyards of the domain, but it, it changed its name what about five six years ago. Yes, very thanks, slightly. Thanks to you. You remember? <laughs> I remember. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because the name of the of the the land is, is the terroir is Tesson, but inside the Tesson there is a clos which was called à mon plaisir clos du haut Tesson. It's a little bit complicated, but à mon plaisir it means a lot, you know. And um, in the sixties, I think my father. I, I don't think I know. He was pushed by his uh, American importer, and he, he told him you should add the mon plaisir. So he called it les Tesson clos de mon plaisir. And from the time he, he, he replanted in 59 and 60, and in two times in 51 and 60, 59 and 61, he called it Tesson Claude de Mon Plaisir. Then uh, engraved on the stone over the door of the Claude, it's engraved à mon plaisir Claude du haut Tesson. And I, I remember having this conversation with uh, Jasper, and he told me you, you should use this, this name. So I, uh, it took me some years to, I was hesitating. And then uh, I, I switch in uh, 14 and decide to and decide to um, to call it à mon plaisir Claudio Tesson. And you have to know something: uh, Le Tesson was absolutely destroyed with the phylloxera crisis, which means around uh, 1870. So they abandoned the vineyards, and then the trees came back. And we were able to find off uh, some, some uh, website, picture right after the World War II, and you see the Tesson was just wood, trees. And then my father bought it, and he, he, took, he, les arbres, les arbres. he, took, he took the trees there. And put the, 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 the place back to how it was before Phylloxera crisis. And I always heard about the replantation as a epopee. Say epopee. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> a big, a big, 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 big things. A big do. event. Voilà. Mm. And they built a house in this. Uh, while it was in, in, in with trees, they built a, a tiny house, a very beautiful one. It was what we call here in folie, and they were just spending a, the a day up to up to the hill. Uh, above Merceau, it was, it's a beautiful place, and I'm going to restore the house. Voilà. À mon plaisir, Claudio Tesson. It's not a monopole because uh, Pierre Moret owns a part of it. He owns, I would say, 20% of it. But it's a lovely place, and I, I wish if you if you come to Merceau, you 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 can go up to the hill and see this beautiful place. So it's mid slope. Uh, but it's more east-facing. Less, uh, it's not as north as uh, Mechavo and uh, Vireuil. Alors j'ai servi que le premier. Je m'en J'ai pas And for me, it's, it, it's another level over the first two, both of which I love. But here we're in another level. And this is a vineyard which, had it been fully planted at the earlier mm -hmm. time, would certainly have been a candidate for Premier Cru because yeah. it's just beyond the end of where the other Premier Crews finish. But uh, given that it didn't have vines in at the time they um, started creating all the Appalachians and the Premier Crews, um, it, it didn't get selected. 
And maybe maybe it's right. Maybe it's best that uh, Tesson should be an outstanding village near D uh, rather than um, a premier cru. But uh, it's a wine actually from all the producers, who are six or seven of them. It stands out. And th th but this is the, the most exceptional example. And to me, Tesson, you know, we have different locations for, for village level wine. Mechavo and, and Luché, Vireux, which are more north. We have another one which was re replanted, uh, Tillet, which is more south and higher on the slope. A Tesson is a little bit as a standard. It's a, it's a classic Merceau. And it's also the way, the reason people recognize, they like the Tesson is famous because it, it's very classic Merceau for me. Mm with a little bit more nutty aspect, not too mineral, not too, not too rich. It's just in, in, the, in the balance. So, Jamal, for the Tesson, so generally when you start the harvest, the Tesson and Mesa you start in the first several days? You, you're speaking about uh, harvest order? Yes, the harvest order. Uh, uh, I... you, you go, we go more, we, we began south. Uh, for example, with Claude, it could be Claude de Boucher, the last, the last one. Claude de Boucher, either Claude La Baronne for the Merceau, which is very uh, uh, early. Usually it's uh, Claude de Boucher or Claude La Baronne. Then Tillet is, is early too, Porizo sometimes. Then, you know, the fact we have some Bourgogne Blanc, it allows us to, to switch to Bourgogne Blanc and then to come back to Merceau when it's the right time. Usually it's uh, Boucher, Claude La Baronne, Porizo, then Bourgogne Blanc. Then we're back to Premier Cru, uh, other Premier Cru, Charme Perrier. Then Bourgogne Blanc. And only after this, we switch on the northern part, Tesson. So Tesson, usually it's arrive at the beginning of the second half of the harvest. So we've now got the uh, Boucher. Um... Something you need to be aware of is that Jean-Marc has made Boucher for a long time, but up to and including 2010, it was just called Boucher. Uh, and it's a plot which, um, when the new vineyards that he bought together with Dominique Lafont arrived in 2011, he handed over his old Boucher plot to Lafont. So Domaine Lafont has Boucher from 2011. And he instead took the whole of the Claude Boucher um, which is what we have now. But you may see with certain merchants who don't know what they're talking about, you may see them offering Claude Boucher from a vintage of 2010 or before under the Rouleau label. And that will be a mistake. It's not Claude Boucher yeah. um, before them. Oh, it's yes. just what a, what a wonderful man. Uh, so, no, it was a beautiful addition to the estate. I'm, I'm so happy to work with that Boucher. So I bought this, uh, just to explain it to you, I bought a small plot in 1996 
And I was dreaming about, it was just a neighbor. I was dreaming about the, the big claw, which was beside my small plot. And then we had the opportunity to, to, to work on it since 2011. It's a big claw with huge wall all around the claw. And uh, it's a beautiful place. And we're able to, we, you know, when you have this kind, it's one hectare 0.37, which is big for Burgundy. And uh, when, you have, when you have this kind of plot, you're able to manage some different things from the, for biodiversity, for managing your vineyard, and uh, for, for the trees, for the birds. And we're working this way on Claude de Boucher, and we love it. We love it, really. But I think this wine does then explain why uh, Tesson, for all its wonderful quality, is a village wine. Because when you get to Claude de Boucher, it gives you much greater depth, it gives you much greater intensity, but also even more elegance, if that's possible. Even though it's, it's a little richer, it's a little riper, but it's also really elegant. Any thoughts back, uh, Amy, from any of the team? Any, any little questions to ask on what we've done so far as we come to the end of the 18s? Well, it's in period. I thought he doesn't like that, or he wants to wait on the 18 period. Can you hear? Uh, I didn't hear that clearly. No, sorry. Could John Mark talk about the 18, what he thinks about the, his 18 Perrier? I thought he, he wants to wait on that. Uh, okay, he's actually just had to uh, nip off to answer a question to, uh, to one of his team. But uh, when he comes back, um, uh, uh, I'll ask him to, to do that. So we can look at the... Um, yes, we're, we're going to look at the 17 Perrier in a minute. Um, but he hasn't put out the 18, it's true. Hmm. So far, to me, I think the wines have very much uh, followed their hierarchy. Uh, I think each wine has been a step up from the last, with the possible exception that the Viroy and the Mechevaux are very similar in quality. Even then, I would just put the Mechevaux ahead. Uh, but otherwise, between Bourguignon and Masso, between Masso and Viroy, between Mechevaux and Tesson, and between Tesson and Boucher, for me, I do get um, uh, a clear uh, step up in quality. Um, in a second, we're going to move to uh, 2017. Um, I have also recently tasted the 2019s with Jean-Marc. Uh, and it, while it isn't his favorite vintage, uh, and I said so uh, when, uh, about wine three, I said, OK, I like these. but. There's a rightness about them. It's not quite your style. Further down the line we went, the more beautiful the wines became. Excuse me. There's been a little question about the 2018 Perrier, which we're not going to taste today. Yes. Uh, anything you can say about that, that wine? Uh, oui, oui, bien sûr. <laughs> of course, I, I like it, but I think the, so we have not today, in the, including the tasting, but... Uh, I'm, not, I'm sure I like better Perrier 19 than Boucher, but in 18, I think the Boucher is really top five, yes. very good level. It's very hard. I mean, it's hard to imagine actually right. a wine that could be better in its Mark, class than that. Uh, no, but it's, uh, you know, the quality we have in Perrier is, is quite regular. It's a very nice plot replanting in the, was replanted in the, in the 60s. And uh, then it's very fragile. It's difficult to explain because I would say Perrier is regular. It's a quality you have every year. For Boucher, you know, I'm, I'm missing the, of course, Jeune Brière here in my cellar. 
And uh, I have the feeling I tell you to say Boucher is a little bit my 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 petit genouillère. And I think it's a very it's a little bit more capricious because it's more subtle things, subtle, yes, more delicate things, and you can you may catch it or you may miss it a little bit. Perrier is more regular. It's always it's always here. But when a when a genouillère is great, it's really it could be even better than a Perrier. And uh, you know I'm not promoting my Boucher to tell you it's better than a Perrier because the, the classic the classic thing in the Perrier for sure for sure no doubt. No doubt, but you may have some surprise, and maybe I think I like I like a little bit better my Boucher than Perrier in eighteen, but it's not the case for every vintage. Of course, there's a balance in that Boucher eighteen. It's just mm -hmm. absolutely wonderful. Mm. Okay, very good. So we're going to change vintage now. Yeah, move to 2017. Uh, which began with a, as a vintage with a good reputation for white burgundy, and if anything, that reputation is just growing and growing. Yeah. Um, we thought of it as a bit in the same style as 2014, but the 2014 is a little bit greener and has gone into its shell, and will I retain my enthusiasm for it, but we have to wait for 14. It's totally close, 14, right? Yes. Now. And right. 17, the only problem with 17 is that it's actually delicious right now, but it is unquestionably going to last very, very well. So uh, depending on how much you've been able to secure for yourselves, on the whole, I would recommend trying to keep uh, certainly the more senior vineyards back as long as you're able to. So we're going to return to the uh, Viroy, and uh, I don't know, perhaps do these one at a time. Viroy, what's the next one? After that is Clos, I do Eau Tesson. Uh, we have Rero and the Tesson. You have the two together. Okay, we'll do the same then. So we make both Viray and Tesson? Yes. Just one second while we pour. So another very early harvest um, because the flowering was early. The summer was not as hot as uh, 2018. Yeah. Um, the crop was particularly large in reds, but not in whites. Um, I don't know why in particular that was. Maybe actually had, we, the we, flowering was less successful. Yes, and we had some frost in the lower appellation. Bourgogne Blanc was damaged by frost in, in 17. You know, this was the first year we burned straw in the... Yes, in the, uh, yes of course. Yeah. after the experience of 16. Right. The nose of the Viroy I find considerably more complex actually than the nose of the Viroy 2018. Yeah. One more year and the, the different vintage. Mm. 
And it's got, to me, this is just the right balance of the reductive aspect. So we have mentioned a couple of times reduction. Uh, it's that thing which can smell of a struck match if you take it uh, too far or a bit of gun flint. Um, I now in my tasting notes often refer to beneficial reduction, meaning that the guy has got it exactly right, and not exaggerated it. It was on the verge of getting exaggerated, I think, with some producers. And uh, happily, most people have pulled back a little bit. Um, Jean-Marc, when we talked about it one time in your cellar, you said that you weren't doing it deliberately. It was something which had arrived. Uh, La réduction? Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, my father, he, he used to vinify shorter, just 11 months. And when he was racking, he was doing big rack, racking. And he, has, he was producing very good and pure wine, really beautiful wine, but less reductive. And I think I've got the reduction part as soon as I began to, uh, to make a longer élevage when I switched to 18 months. When I switched to 18 months in the first part, the first year, I used a, a second set of barrels. Then it was in 96. No, yes, uh, it was just a few of the 96. And then the big crop of 99 came and I need to use uh, vats, stainless steel and enamel vats. And I had, after this is a racking, I have the same wine in wood, stainless steel and enamel. And I really love uh, the vats much better than the barrel. So I decided to, to, to do this way for the, for the further vintage. And I think I've got this small reduction since this vintage, 99. Right. And then it's, it's something very capricious because maybe sometimes you, you, you got a lot and there are some day you, you're really tasting the reduction, some day you, you don't. It's, a little, it's something a little bit capricious. I like it a little bit. I like this taste with uh, the small, you say, flint yes, reduction. I like, I like that if it's not too much. Because if it's too big, too heavy, it's, it's take all the power in the mouth. And you, the wine disappears behind that. But a little bit, it's help. I like it. But it's, it's, it's not... Um, it's not something you decide, you manage very, it's, it's, I, I, I told you, it's very capricious, not easy to manage. And you get it when you move from barrel to the second winter in tank, but you have to keep all the lees. Yes. Yes. That, that is what we are doing right now with the 2020. Right. And, uh, you know, for the lees, whatever the quality of the vintage, after salt, if, if needed, salting the grapes, uh, managing the press, uh, managing the debourbage, whatever the quality of the vintage, of course, you need to be absolutely sure about the, the quality of the lease. Then when we racked uh, 11 months later, what we're doing today with the 2020, we, 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 we take all the lead all together. So now I've just tasted the Viroy which, as I say, I found the nose uh, particularly complex. And moving on to the Claudio Tesson, à mon plaisir. La réduction, je, je te le dis en français, right. je trouve la réduction, elle vient des fois après la mise en bouteille. Okay. Et là, je les trouve presque plus réduits qu'ils étaient avant. 
Et ça m'est arrivé beaucoup en 2012, la réduction qui vient très fortement après la mise, et ça m'est arrivé en 2002 aussi. So he can be tasting it in the cellar here and not pick up too much. Then he bottles it and it arrives. So he's finding in the 2017s a little bit more now yeah. than he did at the time of the bottling. And two vintages um, where it really became noticeable later on, especially in 2012 and also in 2002. Right. 20, 2012 is impressive. Mm. Yeah. It's a gorgeous vintage for Yeah, but it's to be, to be kept. Yeah. So, Jomar, how about the barrel? Do you also use different size of barrel and toes in your cellar now? No, um, I'm using uh, not different toes. Is I'm I'm classic. Usually, I'm I'm working with dummy barrel, but I tried some other things. But dummy barrel, he call it AML. A, A is for allier, which is a place where the wood come from, and ML M is middle. Average chauffe uh, moyenne and long, long. Chauffe moyenne long. That's uh, the thing I like from Dami. And uh, medium long toast. Yeah, thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you. And then um, I like fermenting in a barrel, but of course I like to be very careful with the new oak. And uh, for the Bourgogne Blanc, the percentage is very low five to eight percent for the village level wine it could go up to 15 12 15 percent and then premier cru 20 25 percent that's mean i have barrel one years old two three four five six i, I like to have all barrel and the way of managing racking right before the harvest that's and put the wine back in stainless steel that means the barrel are empty a very short time no more than two weeks No, today they are empty and they're going to empty some barrel and we will fill them in two weeks with the coming vintage. Mm -hmm. So it's a good way to manage the, the barrel. And um, I also try different things. I've tried a uh, big Stockinger barrel. Stockinger is an Austrian wine uh, barrel producer and we bought some foudre, big one, 12 hectoliters. I like that because uh, relationship between quantity of wine and area of wood is a little bit better than in a barrel. So it's it's toast, but it's a little bit more elegant. And I, I like that. And I try some grey. Comment dit le grey? Saint? Grey is uh, earthenware. So they're like uh, amphora, like jar, jars or jugs in amphora. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I like that very much because I think the complexity is not the same, is, is, is not at the level, is not at the level of the barrel, but it gives very a uh, lot of energy. Um, the wine are more dynamic, and I think to have maybe 20% of, of grey, it's it's a good thing. Mm. And then I tried the uh, you know the new thing, the glass. And I'm not honestly, I'm not convinced by the glass. I'm going to stop it. 
Voilà. It's, Because it's it doesn't big... breathe at all. Is that the problem? Because the glass, you, you've tasted it here? I, I'm not sure. It's, I'm not it's, with you, it, no. Okay, it's a 2020, it's a big how do you say? globe. globe. Uh, about the same quantity as a barrel. And to me, it's, it's give a taste, something very clinical. C'est très droit, très carré. And, and the, the, the taste to me is a little bit oily. Okay. I, I checked that in many, many places, mm -hmm. including Dagno, including some uh, champagne. Ça fait, tu sais, les vins qu'on huile un petit peu, ça glisse un petit peu comme okay. ça, un peu plus... It changes the texture, makes it come out a bit oily, yes. Uh, oh, we have a little moth that's yeah. come to join us. Uh, here between these two, um, what is clear is it's in the second half of the palette. The back of the palette is a lot more intense to the Claudio Tesson. Um, and it just goes on the persistence. It's, it's that much longer. Much as I like the Viroy, uh, there is clearly a difference. So just for your notes, in our side, we have the last two premier, the Perrier, yeah, the Pink, yeah. and also the Chaume 2010 in the glass now. So take, take right, your time. Okay. Yeah, we will catch up with you. J'ai des tessons de puits vireuil, c'est vrai qu'il y a une vraie marche. Oui. Dans l'autre sens, c'est violent. Alors voilà le Perrier. You really understand how important it is to get the... Uh the order right, the hierarchy right, because if you actually try to go back to the Viroy after the Tesson, it doesn't work. No, 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 don't worry, because I know when we are drinking the wine, you were asking our questions, so you didn't have time to, to enjoy the wine. So, but, but don't worry, guests are very happy because they all have very nice wine with them. Good. Uh, also, when John Mark come back, we also want to know... Yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> Will you bottle more Magnum in the future, especially for Perrier and the Premier Group? I've tried it yet. We're already producing a lot of Magnum. Why do you ask this? Because, Because they want to buy some. Yeah, I guess they want more. And also, I know this is better for aging. And of course, I mean. Yes, but you know, Amy, uh, more Magnum means less bottle. So what's a good what's a good decision? Anyway, we 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 like. I, of course, you're right. It's the best way to to keep the wine and to age them. And almost everything I'm keeping for myself is Magnum. I've got a question for Satpal. Uh, what's the score in the test match? So Jasper, please turn back and take a bottle for us. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, Cham 2010. So, two very, very different wines, obviously, with the Perrier 17 and then the Charles. <clears throat> Now, we didn't obey uh, Jean Marc's own advice here, and that we didn't. Uh, Uh, open them and decant them uh, uh, an hour before. Uh, simply pressure of other work going on. Um, so I'm going to swirl this around a bit, the Perrier. Mm. 
quand même tout le monde de franchise. Que sur le, que sur le Tesson Oui. Bon. Clearly, it's a richer rifle wine than the, uh, the, the Tesson is. It's taking a little bit longer to, to come forward for, um, for me. Talk us through the 2017 uh, Perrier. Uh, it's more it's more classical uh, of course it's more classical vintage a little bit um, probably more energy in the than the 18 so oh, i'm tasting it sorry yes this is one that we really should have uh, given it the opening treatment beforehand Non, le Perrier, il a cette, il a ce grip que tu as tout de suite en bouche, que tu as pas forcément sur. Je vais goûter le Perrier, le, le caisson. More grip on the palette, certainly a greater density. Doesn't seem to spit itself out quite so much. Um, I'm going back. Where are you in the Perrier? Which, uh, which section of it? Perrier, we have very. Very bad located in Sham, but very well, well in Perrier. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So you're in the, uh, the the lower part. Yes, uh, à côté de Dominique, a little bit. Oh, uh, so yeah. you're second in from the. No, no, yeah, yeah, Dominique. Uh, yeah, Prieur, yeah, Vincent Nancer, and yeah, nous après. Okay. No, on est très bien placé dans les. So alongside Lafont, uh, Jacques Prieur, Vincent Nancer, the uh, very most. Uh, what people think of as the best piece of Perrier is that which is alongside the Route des Grands Crus. So there's that little crossroads which gives you uh, at the northern end uh, Genevrier above and below the Route des Grands Crus, and at the southern end Perrier above and Charm below. And it's that band along there of Perrier which is the prime location. And then you've got some other bits which are a little bit higher up the slope. You know, no doubt that Perrier below should be in Grand Cru. Voilà, j'ai lancé le truc. Okay. <laughs> There is a thing called the Claudet Perrier of Domaine Abergrivo, and he proposed just his vineyard to go to Grand Cru, and not surprisingly, the others in the village uh, didn't support that. Uh, and it's always a little bit difficult if you want to get part of a vineyard promoted to Grand Cru and not all of it. Um, but this is the most powerful and long-lasting of all the Moscow vineyards, for sure. After that, if you like Genevrier or Charme, it can depend on your, your palate and the style of wine you prefer. You know, I just went back to Tesson, then Perrier. Et ça, je vais le dire en français. C'est ça te saisit le palais d'une façon beaucoup plus vive, beaucoup beaucoup plus intense et soudaine que le Tesson est très bon. Mais là, il y a il y a une complexité, puis il y a une marche tout de suite, tout de suite qui te prend la qui arrive en bouche. So the Perrier grips the palate much more decisively than the Tesson does. Uh, there's a greater stuffing, a greater weight of fruit uh, on the palate. Um, I'm fine, even though the um, the first aromatic suggested a wine which could be uh, uh, more forward, the density of the fruit, the intensity, makes it so much more backward than I think any of the other uh, wines we've had before. Um, so it's really, it's it's a great wine, but not one to drink now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And what do you think, Jasper, in terms of uh, aging availability between both vintage? Well, actually, I think the 18s will age extremely well. 
Yeah. Uh, and I'm hard put to, to say which. I think maybe 14 will age even longer than either of them. Yeah. But uh, okay. 17 and 18 uh, are both going to last uh, uh, a long time. Yeah. Well, a lot more than 16. Probably sure. uh, will last better than 19, probably. And 20, I haven't tasted it yet. I think so. Yeah, yeah I agree with for, for 19, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Okay, so now... Uh, the one might so you've got later on the Luchet and the uh, Cody Boucher, which I could be with you for that, uh, 2017. And then you have a little series of three 2010s. And before then, we're going to have the 2010 Charm now. Oh, yes. I love that nose because it's not a nose of evolution, but it's a nose of a wine that's arriving at its right point. Um, ours is in a uh, bottle that. Um, was kept underneath uh, uh, wax. Um, so I, about the wax, I want to explain something. I like to wax, but not, I don't like to wax right after bottling. Because the best way for me to, it's to use a natural coke, of course, tip-top quality, if possible, which is not that easy at, right now. And, but we need this exchange through the coke especially in the first two, three years. Then I like to wax, but I don't like to wax right after bottling. And, uh, but, but some years later, it, it's, it's a good thing to, to keep the freshness and the quality of the wine. But, so I did this, you know, this waxing. I did this, uh, I don't know, five years, ago, uh, five, six years ago. Yeah. Wow. And there is a very light, Waxiness of a different sort, nothing to do with the fact it's been under wax on the first bouquet. Complexity about this wine. On the palate, it remains remarkably fresh. And the bottle that we have here is straight from the um, domain. Um, uh, but, but you can already start to see the additional layer, layers of flavour of a wine that's now 11 years old. So if I had that in my cellar, I'd be thrilled to drink it now, but I would have no worries if I decided to keep it for another five, ten years. Yeah. It was a, a vintage with a, a slight amount of botrytis, which yes. was a, among the last one to have with botrytis. A, a little bit like 2008 for me. Uh, you know, at, at this time, there was a big competition between 2009 and, and 2010 was a little bit different. I, th I think to me, maybe 09 was more healthy grapes, but uh, 10 is, is great vintage true. It is uh, less sun than in 09, a little bit uh, better acidity in the 10, but a slight amount of botrytis, which which make it a little bit uh, more more greasy, more, more, un peu plus gras. A little more flesh. flesh. Uh, what was fascinating was this the huge thunderstorm, electrical storm, very warm weather. Uh, which is down on the border between Sontenay and chassin Maraschig, <clears throat> And that area, it was too much. And uh, uh, not just, the grapes were pretty much ripe, very nearly ripe, not quite there maybe. Um, and suddenly in this electrical storm, some of them started turning blue, which is not really what you want your, you want your grapes to do. Um, thank goodness the weather turned uh, clean and clear after that. And so mass rot didn't set in. Um, but these grapes, which had turned colour a little bit, gave an impression of rot, but a very attractive flavour to it. Now, Merceau, fortunately, was just further, farther, uh, far enough away from the centre of the storm that it didn't suffer too badly. It just got some of that um, uh, light betrayed us. 
further south, Chassin Maraschet, I think it's a more difficult vintage for whites. Um, but here, I think it's lovely. So, that. Uh, That completes our tasting because we're not going to give ourselves a glass of apricot liqueur now, but maybe um, it's on my. It's midday for us. <laughs> um, tell me about this this family history of distillation. Okay, we, you know, I look I look for the genealogy, and I go up to the French Revolution, and I'm, I, we were from Marange, and I saw in the official register. Rouleau was first was distillator, then wine producer, and it it switched. They became uh, first thing was was wine, but in the past the distillation part was was big. So we own this machine. Uh, the, the machine I'm still using was from 1866, and since this time uh, we own the same machine producing Mar and Fin Bourgogne, and I learned the, the still process with my father. And I like it. And we never sold the machine. We kept the machine. And we're still producing Mar and Fin Bourgogne. And also, we like to produce uh, fruit brandies. So I'm producing pear brandies coming from Haute Côte de Beaune, uh, apricot brandies, and uh, raspberry brandies. I like, I like that. And the liquor is a different story because we, we are not making a distillation. It's a maceration. And, uh, but, the, you know, I'm producing apricot liquor and lemon liquor. And I, sh I, 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 I give a bottle of, of lemon to my aunt. And she told me, oh, you know, it's funny because my father, my grandfather used to do funny things this way. So I think it's c'est dans nos gènes. It's in their genes to make these. I, I think so. So I like that. And what you have to know, it's I'm going to release a new coffret because they are about Mar de Bourgogne. Because the appellation of Mar de Bourgogne does not allow you to mention the vintage and the terroir. And I think it's a shame. Uh, you just, you're just mixing all your must and producing a generic Mar de Bourgogne. It's, it's like if the, uh, the, the rule for the wine would be to just produce a Merceau vineyard. That's all. Not declining Tesson, Mechavo, uh, Boucher, etc. So, I was about sure that the terroir would be able to express in the haute vie. So I decided to quit the Mar de Bourgogne appellation. So I kept my must separately. Five different terroirs. Luché, Tesson, uh, Charme, Boucher, and Perrier. Five different musts after the press. Five different fermenting process. Five different distilled process. And I, I don't use any more uh, oak. I put it in, in uh, Demi Jones. I'm going to release a coffret with five small bottles of each. And uh, maybe you'll be able to try it one day. And the terroir is here. That's a good oh, news. Okay. <laughs> Something exciting to uh, catch up with. Yeah. Well, we wish we could join you for uh, uh, the wines to come and your scallop and ravioli <laughs> and halibut and French yellow chicken, but uh, not to be. Uh, we, we both have got to go out to our various works this afternoon. Um, I wonder if you have any last questions for Jean-Marc or comments on the tasting that you'd like to share? No?
Yeah. Um, John, can I just get an overall comment from uh, thought from you on the 18 versus the 17 vintage? So the, to me, they look quite different. Is that more, in your opinion, a reflection of the vintage or the extra year in bottle of the 17th? Est-ce que c'était plutôt une différence d'une année, donc plus moins de plus, ou est-ce que c'est vraiment le millésime qui est différent entre 17 et 18? No, to be honest, the, the, no, I, I, to be honest, the vintage is different. And I agree, there is more intensity in the 17 than 18. I like 17 a lot, but I was afraid from the beginning, from the very beginning, that the high yield in 18s for many people means bad wine, which is, which is, which is, which is wrong. Because it's, I told you, it's, it's not an accident. It's, it's exceptional. It's every 35 years, but it's a good vintage. Maybe not very, it will be, it will be less expressive, especially in the lower appellation. And I feel the, the high yield, especially in Bourgogne Blanc, the very first one we had, maybe a little bit in Meursault, but as you go up in the range, you forget the yield. And, uh, but you're right. It's not the quality of the 17 today. But uh, I'm very curious how it's going to, 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 to age. And I know it's not the, the best wine you may imagine today in terms of structure, in terms of intensity, but it's clean. And to me, the vintage, if you look at in the past, the vintage, the vintage which we're able to age beautifully, you know, we're, we're always speaking about sun, acidity, alcohol level. The best, best, best vintage are the healthy grapes vintage. So right now, in the next uh, five, 10 years, maybe 18 will not show, it sera pas devant, will not be in front. But I, I know most of them will be drank in 20 years, of course. Um, but I'm sure we're going to have very good surprise with 18. J'ai répondu à la question? Absolutely. Voilà. Anything else? Otherwise, we should uh, let the Delaware team uh, serve you your food. One question, sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> one more question, just because our fearless leader, Michael, is in here, and he always asks this. If you could have one vineyard that you currently don't have, uh, and you could pick any vineyard anywhere in Burgundy, what would you pick? What would be that extra vineyard that you wish you had? Genevrière. Master Genevrière. And you guys going to buy some? You know, it's a, it's not a secret, and even I even wrote it on Instagram. <laughs> no, no, I know. I of course here we miss Chenvrier for sure. So to to calm my frustration, I bought it as a because I have a, a tiny uh, negoce business, uh, no more than twenty barrel. So I, I bought some Genevrier, but it's not the same story. So I'm not going to. It's okay, but it's good, but uh, it's different when you manage a vineyard. So. No, I, I, we miss uh, Genevrière. Maybe one day, I don't know. We'll see. Mm. Well, Amy, Jeremy, Watson's team, and all you there, and, uh, and the Deloio team, um, thank you so much for being present. Uh, it's fascinating for me to change, uh, taste these wines here with uh, Jean-Marc. And congratulations, Jean-Marc, for having made them in the first place. <laughs> thank you for your attention and your wine patient. It's always impressive for, for us to, you know, you, 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 you're far away from here and I, I'm very impressed by your patience and your interest in your wine. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Okay. Merci, Jasper. Thank you, Jasper.
Merci beaucoup. Merci. Bye bye. Bye bye. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir.